So last week we heard Jesus say, just there at verse 50, for a bit of context, or verse 48, sorry, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, they will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds in this bread will live forever. Now Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning those who would not believe and who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, and note the tone of pathos in this, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered him, do they not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, as we have read this morning, this is your word. And the flesh is of no use at all in proclaiming it or sharing it. We need the Spirit. We need your Holy Spirit who comes and gives life. Life to the preacher and life to the hearers. Who links us by faith into the beautiful love that we have sung about. So that we can boldly approach the eternal throne. So I pray this morning, gracious Holy Spirit, that you would do your work that you would come into this place and hide me behind Jesus, and that you would open our ears and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us, and that you would glorify him in our midst. For we ask it for his name's sake. Amen. A friend of mine was out in the American Rockies, and he was one of these guys that likes climbing up the side of mountains, you know, with no ropes and basically nothing on them, but just, what do you call it, scale facing the walls? And he was climbing up the Rockies one day and he slipped and took a tumble. And as he was falling down the side of the mountain, he was somewhat panicked. And at the very last minute, he grasped the hold of a root 
that was protruding from the mountainside, and the root held. And as he was suspended there between heaven and earth with about 300 feet below him, this is a story, by the way, before somebody comes at me about theology. As he was suspended between heaven and earth there, holding on to this, wrote this root, he thought, I better pray here. And so he lifted up with a bold voice as he was hanging on and said, is there anyone up there? Nothing came back. So he got a bit more packed and said, please, if you're up there, answer me. And the voice came back from heaven and said, let go of the root. Now, my friend was somewhat protruded by this because that was the only thing that was stopping the forces of gravity taking him to the bottom. So he looked back up and said, is there anyone else up there? Life can be difficult at times, can't it? I don't mean to start off on a negative note, but let's face it, life can be hard sometimes. And sometimes we feel like we're in no-win situations with gravity pulling us down and we're holding on to our bit of root and we wonder what on earth are we going to do next? Or is that just me? Thank you, one person, for shaking their head in agreement. Life can be hard. And as we go through John's gospel at the minute, John's gospel doesn't shy away from telling us about the hardness of life. The gospels don't do that. I know some churches when we grow up, you know, it's if you trust in Jesus, all your problems will be gone. Every day is sweeter than the next. Well, that's not the biblical picture, is it? And Jesus' life himself, Jesus' description of himself is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And when we look at the earthly life of Jesus, he was born miraculously, the virgin birth, but for 30 years of his life, he toiled and labored in a carpenter's workshop in the back end of nowhere. And he looked after a family. And we reckon Joseph, his adopted father, probably died quite early. So Jesus became the head of the household and had to raise this whole brood and look after them. Jesus is acquainted with hardship. And anyone who walked around Jerusalem in that century would be acquainted with daily plagues, health issues, Roman occupation, difficulties. So the Bible doesn't shy away from t talking about the difficulties of life, but nor too does it shy away from talking about the reality of God in our midst, who is our help, our refuge, and our strength. Psalm 46 is a beautiful psalm, is it not? God is our refuge, a present help in time of trouble. We will not fear, though the earth gives way beneath us. Have you ever had bad news where literally, I, I never experienced that until I got some really bad news once and it feels like the earth is giving away beneath you, doesn't it? And so we come to today's text. A second parter from what we looked at last week is Jesus declares to the disciples and those whom he has just fed miraculously, the 5,000 plus women and children, he has just declared to them, I am the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me will no longer hunger nor thirst. And the disciples, verse 52, disputed amongst themselves. Because this Jesus only said he was the bread of life, but his flesh would come and feed them and give them life. I mean, in our ears, it sounds strange too, doesn't it? So verse 52 isn't surprising that they fought amongst themselves. I love the actual literal text is they began to wage a war of words. You ever been in conversations like that? There's just a barrage of words flying around. One of my favorite films is Fiddler on the Roof. How many of you saw Fiddler on the Roof? 
And I love that opening scene where there's the marketplace and Teve goes up and whispers to one person. He says, the horse was a couple of years old. And this whole fight starts. So the next thing, the whole marketplace is an uproar. I love that. I mean, I would be the person to whisper and cause the fight, but they have a war of words. But in the war of words, as we said last week, sometimes we miss the important truth. So Jesus calls him attention to himself in verse 53 here. Verse 52 to verse 59 is Jesus answering the question, which actually is really important. And I've asked it myself sometimes. I don't know if you've ever asked it yourself. How do you know tomorrow that you'll wake up still believing in Jesus? Have you ever asked yourself that question? And the troubles and the hardships of life and seeing so many walk away from the faith, and as we'll see later on in this chapter, as those deserted him. How do you know tomorrow that you will wake up trusting in him still? And if you answer that question in the, well, I believe, I am. I trust. I know it'll be okay. Then we need to listen afresh to Jesus because the answer isn't an I, but in him. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And again, we notice the eternal life isn't just talking about time here. It's all about quality, quantity, and magnitude as well as time. It is life that comes from eternity and sustains into eternity. Remember way back in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You know all this was way back at Christmas time. In fact, it was the week I preached the, what you call that thing, the view. And in him was light. And that light was the life of us all. Jesus comes with life. For my flesh, notice there, verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. And he goes on to say in verse 56, and notice this here because these two are repeating each other. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, lives in me, has his life caught up in me. This is the first time in John's gospel that this idea has occurred. And I'll go on throughout the rest of the gospel. I mean, how many of us love the, the Last Supper narrative in John 14, 15, 16, and 17? That's some great scripture, isn't it? But here we get the echoes of it here. You will abide in me and I in you. I mean, brothers and sisters, for a minute, can we just take that in? The fact the hymn writer might have got it best, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Why? Because he lives in me and he lives in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Is that not an amazing thought? Oh, come on. Yes, amen. Thank you. Now, this is quite startling to their ears. So he goes on to try and expand it. First 56 is basically a comment, or first, sorry, 57 is an explanation of verse 56. As the living Father sent me. So picture this flow here. The Father, full of life from whom all creation has come out, has sent Jesus, and I live because of the Father. So there's a chain here. Jesus draws a source in his life from the Father though he has full life and source in himself. But because the Father has sent him into the world and directs him with life, whoever feeds on me will also live because of me. Your life, Christian, is wrapped up not in what you can do, 
not in how you will face tomorrow in your own strength and your own resources, but because Christ lives in you and your life is drawn all the way back from God the Father. Isn't that amazing? How will you face tomorrow? Christ will face it with you, in you, and through you. And we know this flows through the whole of Scripture, does it not? How did Jesus teach us to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. There's something about bread in this passage too, isn't there? As your days are, so your strength shall be. When I am weak, when I feel like the whole world is pushing down on me, then I am strong. Why? Because his grace, and what is grace but God's gracious love and action in our lives? is more than sufficient for me. How do you know you'll be a Christian tomorrow? Because Jesus Christ has got the hold of you. And if you feed in him, if you trust him, and that's why Jesus uses this language of feeding and trusting on him. Old Thomas Cramer got it right. Jesus here isn't talking about literally feeding in his body and blood. As Don Carson rather sharply says in his commentary, only an idiot would think Christ is talking about cannibalism here, which is a way to sell your commentaries, isn't it? How many of you have heard these words? The body of Christ, which was given for you. Preserve your body and soul to eternal life. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Cramer, Augustine, and the majority of the church got right here. Jesus, when he talks about feeding, is talking about that powerful act of taking him into our very being by faith, so much so that we are rooted and grounded in him. When you eat something, brothers and sisters, do you peck away at it and leave it at the side? Imagine before you this morning is a big, juicy sirloin steak. Sorry if you're vegetarian and I've just offended you there. There's a big, juicy sirloin steak and there's a lovely coronation quiche. It's vegetarian, isn't it? Chocolate eclair. Oh, there we go. Big, big steak and a chocolate eclair. If I give every one of you one of those this morning, you're going to look, I go, oh, well, that's, that's very nice. And that. No, you'll eat it, won't you? You'll take it in. That's why Jesus calls himself the bread of life. He uses imagery to get us to show what faith should be like. And faith in Christ is taking him into ourselves, wholly leaning on him, drawing our source and our strength from him. How many of you get grumpy when you don't eat food? I wasn't going to say anything. There's an expression that Malin taught me. It's called hangry. Has anyone heard of the hangry expression? It's a combination of hungry and angry. And basically, if you don't feed people, they become like gremlins. No, we need food to sustain our physical bodies. Jesus is the bread of life, our daily bread, whom we come to for daily power to sustain our spiritual life. When we draw him in by faith, ultimately, through prayer and praising his name, through reading his word, through fellowshipping together, we receive Christ in such an abundance day by day that he gives us strength for our spiritual and eternal lives. Whoever feeds in me will live because of me. And that's an indestructible life for Christ's life cannot be destroyed. The grave to not contain him. Hell could not defeat him. Satan could not put him down. He lives forevermore. And those who trust in him will live forevermore with him. Oh, brother and sister in your walk with Christ. I know there's discouragement. I know there's hardship. I know there's times when you feel like, Lord, what is going on? But Christ in you is the hope of glory and his life will sustain you. He will go on later to say, I am the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me and in my love. We need that daily bread, verses 52 to 59. It's even better than the bread that Moses gave them in the wilderness because those guys ate the manna and popped their clogs anyway. That's the Northern Irish translation. 
Whatever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus is the bread of life who keeps us going, who sustains us, whose life comes and flows in that beautiful picture of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This life-giving force flows out into us and sustains us spiritually. I mean, look at creation around us. How many of you drove into church this morning? The beauties of, of creation around us. I mean, I know England's not quite as nice as Ireland, but you know, it's not bad. Beautiful. And creation is but the work of his fingers. Redemption's the work of his heart. My old preachers say, when God made the world, it cost him his breath. When God redeemed the world, it cost him his son. But that work on the cross, defeating sin and death, opening the love of Christ to us, flows from his heart and is the focus of his life. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were the ones who insisted, who pursued us, who chased after us, who wanted to redeem us that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And now, how much more will he not also graciously give us all things, says Paul in Romans, through him who has loved us. Oh, friend, this morning, if you need your daily bread in Christ, you can stop listening to the sermon right now and just pray to him. As pastor, I'm coming to know you and getting to know you guys. I know there's heartaches. I know there's pains. And I will come alongside you and I'll try and make you laugh. I'll probably make you cry. But the best thing I can do for you is to point you to the daily bread that is there, to Jesus Christ, our Lord, who loved you. He is our daily bread. This daily bread must be received by faith, verse 60 to 64. The Jewish people struggle with this, and the disciples too. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. The Greek word there is actually quite interesting. It basically says, this is a crusty saying, which isn't the nicest really, is it? This saying's crusty. Have you ever got a bit of, have you ever, went into your bread basket and you realize that you haven't bought bread for a week and it's starting to go a bit hard and moldy and you toast it anyway because you're going to risk it. This bread is crusty. It has sayings hard. It's gnarly. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? And I wonder sometimes if we actually, in our familiarity with Jesus' sayings, in our sanitizing of Jesus' sayings, we forget just how radical this message of faith is. This is a hard saying. Why is it a hard saying? What's, what's hard about it, Jesus? And I love how Jesus answers. Jesus doesn't take the fence away. He actually offends him a bit more. Verse 62, you think this is hard, guys? Me saying, believe in me, trust in me, I'm the bread of life. What about if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Now, commentators are splitting this. Does Jesus talk about ascending back up into heaven to take his seat at the Father's right hand, as we see in Acts when Stephen's martyred? Or does he talk about when he ascends, as the Archbishop of Canterbury actually said yesterday in a sermon, he ascends to his throne, which was a cross? Because that's an even greater stumbling block. Remember Paul says this in Corinthians, to the Jew, the cross is a stumbling block to the Greeks' foolishness. And when we think about the cross, it seems so strange, does it not, that the Son of Man, that God's only begotten Son would come and submit himself to corrupt leadership in Pilate, who was busy trying to do the politics, who would let himself be struck on the cheek by the religious leaders of Israel who should, who should have been bowing at his feet, who let the Romans whip and scourge him till his back was like a plowed field, 
He would then let the nails go into his hands. And that's just the physical side. Let us think as he cries out on the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet he did. That is the scandal of the cross, that the greatest display of God's power, God's love, God's holiness, God's wrath, God's justice was not done in some mighty act that Satan tempted Jesus to do, jumping off the temple. It wasn't done like, and I say this not flippantly, but seriously, like Superman who would come in at the last minute and save by a great display of his power. That's what we think of power and might, isn't it? We saw yesterday in Westminster Abbey, as a king is crowned, the army goes before him in all its might. That's not how Jesus conquers. He comes and gives his life as a ransom for many. He comes bearing the wrath of God. He comes standing in my place condemned for me. How can we grasp this unless the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see? Verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This is echoes of John 3. The wind blows where it chooses, and so it is with the Spirit of God. You must be born again. To be born again, not going into your mother's womb, no, but being born anew by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul would pick us up in Ephesians, open the eyes of my heart that I may see Jesus. This bread, this life, this forgiveness is available to us, but it must be received by faith, faith given by the power of the Holy Spirit. We must not forget the Holy Spirit's role in all this. John's gospel will particularly go on, especially later on, to describe the role of the Spirit in opening our eyes to see Jesus. The Holy Spirit delights in glorifying him and making Jesus known. And friend, if you're here this morning and you've tried to believe in Jesus, you've tried to do it through works, through, through obedience, through duty, ask the Holy Spirit to open your heart to receive true and full salvation through Jesus Christ. A Christian friend, if you're here this morning and you start out like the Galatians, full of spirit and hope and are now trying to fall back in works on duty and are taking your eyes off Jesus, you're starving your soul. You're starving your soul. Thomas Chalmers, can't believe you guys don't know Thomas Chalmers. It's very sad to me. Thomas Chalmers is one of my heroes. He's a great lad, even for a Scotsman. He's a, no, he's a great guy. And Chalmers was, uh, he was born in Anstruther. He was a famous preacher in Glasgow and he became a theology lecturer. And he was actually the lecturer. How many have heard of Robert Murray McShane? A few more have heard of him. Chalmers was his lecturer. McShaney said that, humanly speaking, Chalmers was the greatest influence in his life. And Chalmers had these guys coming to him in the Free Church College in Edinburgh, and they were, they were very introspective guys. They were always looking in on themselves. Have I done enough? Have I prayed enough? Have I believed enough? Am I good enough? Perhaps questions you've asked yourself in the Christian life. Chalmers says, guys, look, stop looking in. For every one look you take at yourself, take a thousand looks at Jesus Christ. And you see what Chalmers was doing there? He said, guys, your faith isn't rooted within your works or your own feelings or emotions. I mean, how many of you have your emotions go up and down like a seesaw during the week? Don't put your hands up. It's all right. Not based on that. Remember what Jesus said last week at the end of this? The Father means him to have life and life by looking at the Son and believing. Verse 40. 
Everyone who looks in the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. How do you know you'll be a Christian tomorrow? By eating your daily bread, by receiving this by faith, and by trusting not in yourself, but in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the foundation and the structure of the Christian life. Verse 65, he said, this is why I told you that no one can come unless it is granted to him by the Father. Daily bread that must be received by faith in no other way. I love that saying. Remember that scene where the guys come down the mountain, Jesus, the, the son is caught up with a demon. The man says to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my own belief. If you believe this morning, friend, but are struggling, ask him to help. Jesus is real. He is real. We don't worship an imaginary God. We don't come and sing to the stage. We come and sing to the one who loved us and gave himself for us, who's here by the power of his Holy Spirit, who has eternal life forevermore, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Bread received by faith. Lastly, verse 66 to 71. My last point is always my shortest point. It's no easy thing. It is no easy thing to follow Jesus. How many of you watched the commentary yesterday and the news about the coronation? I was struck, and I don't say this as a criticism, I was just struck by it. I was struck by the BBC. Folk were like, well, you know, it's a Christian service, but there was other bits there too, so it's okay. I was almost this apologetic to you. Well, it was a Christian service. You know, let them do their thing. Let the archbishop, you know, and I did feel sorry for Charles when the archbishop was screwing the crowd in his head at one point. I'm not too sure what was going on there. Did you see that? It, it was all perfect. It lined up, and then you sort of see this, uh, sorry, I did feel sorry for him. <laughs> There's always this apologetic. Now, speaking in the civil sphere, absolutely, I, I, under, I believe that everyone should have the right to believe what they want to believe in the civil sphere. But Jesus here is exclusive. And it's exclusive in a way that actually rubs very uncomfortably with our modern culture. Do you guys want to leave me as well? You've heard the heart saying, you must believe in me. I am the bread of life. I am the one who has come from the Father. And later on, he would say, there is no other way to the Father but through me. Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter, bless him. Simon opens his mouth. And for once, something great comes out. I'm going to have to apologize to him when I see him in heaven. <laughs> Lord, to whom shall we go? Like my wee friend who was holding on with his root there at the start of the sermon. There is no one else up there. There is only Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, the God of the universe, except through him. You and you alone have the words of eternal life. Notice that it's words of life. The exclusivity of Christ is not a bad thing. It's a joyous thing. He has come and he has made himself known in love. He offers us daily bread to sustain us to eternity by faith alone and grace alone through his work alone. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Daily bread 
received by faith in a hard but exclusive and glorious way. Jesus answered him, did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is the devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. We'll leave it there as we come in a minute to the Lord's table to remember him and his love for us. But as you go from here today, know that he offers you his life, his life in all its fullness. He is a daily bread who will sustain you and keep you going through the difficult times, the hard times, the good times. He will always be with you if you trust him by faith. He will never let you go. He has died for you on the cross that you may live. He has risen from the grave to an indestructible life to share it with you. That is your daily bread, dear friend. And it's received by faith. A faith that says, Lord, I believe in you. I trust you. Forgive me my sins. Keep me going. A faith that even though it's holding on by its fingertips sometimes knows that it is held by a loving Savior. And this is a hard saying, a saying that we're called to go and share in this multi-faith, multi-exclusion world. But as a message of glorious hope and we know its power to transform and save. So let us pray. Lord, I pray I would, you would take what was from me and not helpful and let it fall to the wayside, that the husks would scatter. But Holy Spirit, we know that when your word goes forth, regardless of preacher, that it will not return void because your words are spirit and life. And I pray this morning for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for them. I thank you for the time of worship we have, and I thank you as we come to your table to remember you that we have these innumerable blessings. And I pray, O oh Lord, our daily bread, that for those who are struggling at the minute, who fear their faith may fail, that as they come to the table, they will know that you hold them fast. For those who are going through difficult challenges and decisions, whose faith perhaps is being tested, that they would know the source of their strength is not within them, but comes from you. And your Holy Spirit will well up into them for eternal life. You will refresh and feed. Now, if there's any here this morning who do not know you, Lord, we do not know how we could live without you. We love you. We know that you are a source of forgiveness grace, of challenge, yes, you call us to follow you in difficult ways, but oh, following you is glorious. And I would pray for that person this morning who doesn't know that you'd open the eyes of their heart to see Jesus as he truly is. Not a historical figure, not a good teacher, but the son of the living God who has come to save them. And we ask all this in your name. Amen.